0: This episode of Talking With Tech is brought to you by SmartBox, makers of Grid3 and grid for ipad a complete symbol and text AAC solution. And by Twiddle, the safe sensory therapy tool that can reduce stress and stimulate brain function in children with autism and sensory-seeking behaviors. Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. This is Lucas Duber, joined as always by Chris Begay. How are you, sir? Fantastic. And of course by Rachel Madel. How are you?
1: I'm doing really good.
0: Well today we're talking about uh, something I'm actually really excited to address because we get asked uh, questions about it all the time and it's one of those things that uh, really underpins a lot of arguments around augmentative and alternative communication in a variety of ways and that is motor planning. Chris, I'm curious to ask you, why is this so controversial?
2: You know, I I don't know, you know, because Lucas, when I think of it, I think about like, how are our words, if I'm using verbal speech, how is that organized in my brain, you know? So I picture like a little troll or gnome that lives in my brain. And when I need to go get a word, it runs over to the little filing cabinet and it pulls out the word that I'm looking for. And the Only way it can do that is because the words are organized in this little library in my brain, right? And so when you're talking about people who use augmentative communication devices, the words just can't be kind of randomly placed anywhere on a a board. They have to be organized as well so that... Their little troll can go know and find where it is. Is that a weird way to explain it? I don't know. That's how I think
0: of I I I, I like trolls in all my metaphors, so I'm I'm totally (laughs) in for that. You you know, the way that I've heard that referred to back in my linguistics days was semantic priming. uh, Right, that we have, um, you know, we have we have patterns in our language use the same way that we have patterns in our muscle use. Which then begs the question, you know, is everything planned out in in that way? Do we have channels that we keep on repeating over and over again? Like is articulation itself, for example, a function of motor planning?
2: I think so. In fact, we're going to hear this a little bit later when we talk to Chris in the interview, but we we use that exact sort of analogy that uh, motor planning for someone who's a communication device is very similar to motor planning of how I use my articulators, you know?
0: Well, and the, the only thing I could think of that would be different about those is that if you have a, a poor motor plan for articulation, you might still be speaking, but it's going to be less intelligible, right? I mean, that's the nature of articulation therapy. Whereas motor planning, uh, if you don't have a motor plan for an AAC device, the implication, at least from from my perspective, is that that's going to impact the rate of production, right? You're going to be sitting there hunting and pecking, um, you know, the same way you do on a keyboard when you first start learning.
2: Well, maybe not just the rate. I mean, definitely the rate, but... Could it also be just development in general? You know, if you keep moving the icons around, how do you learn where the words are? You know, the only way my little troll could know to go and find the word that I need is it's always in the same filing cabinet in my brain. So the only way my tongue can say the L sound is that it's always in the same spot. And if it keeps moving around, then the L sound never comes out.
1: And the way that I like to present this to people is, you know, with an iPhone or Android, if you're an Android user, um, you know, we all learn exactly where the buttons are. I can navigate to Facebook in my sleep. But if I picked up your phone, Chris, I would probably be searching through lots of folders to try to find Facebook. Um, you know, I know where it is in my sleep. One, because I use Facebook way too much. Two, because I've learned where the motor plan is. I, I know that motor plan um, because of so much repetition and practice. So I think it's important, you know, when you're describing this concept to teachers and paraprofessionals, I always use that example because everyone has a phone and everyone knows how to navigate, you know, to their favorite apps in their sleep. Um, But I think this is really important when we're, you know, doing AAC stuff.
2: So Rachel, it's funny you bring up Facebook because uh, back in the day when Facebook was first starting, they would change up where everything was and you get these people that would rage quit, you know, like, oh, they moved everything around because before we even had phones and Facebook was just on the computer and people would go over and they'd be like, where's my friend list? They kept moving it. That's it. I'm leaving Facebook because Facebook did not understand back in the day, motor planning, you know, and it, it actually freaks people out when you move their stuff around.
0: Yep, that's happening right now with a website that I use that I probably shouldn't admit that I use called Reddit, where they are they're they're going through a big redesign and it is causing riots. People are I've, I've never seen people so angry. But you're absolutely right. It's about it's about this expectation of of you know where things are supposed to be from a motor standpoint. And since I like to use big words, uh, you know, another term for this is oral somatosensory awareness, right? Which is just basically knowing where your tongue and lips are at all times. Um, so when we talk about AAC, we're also talking about somatosensory awareness. And I'll tell you from, from all the modeling that I do, I have different starting postures with my hands depending on which app I'm using, right? Um, so and, and I'm sure they're nowhere near as reinforced as the students that use the same app every single day. I mean, I've seen people that can play lamp like a piano and um, I'm, I'm still sitting there trying to figure out where the word B is. Yeah, um,
2: I think I think you see that, Lucas. That some of the most proficient users of AAC devices can use it without looking at the overlay. Yep, you know, absolutely, because it's all motor planning.
1: So how do we take this idea of motor planning and actually use it in our practice and and consider it? Um, and I think the biggest time is when you're doing assessment. Um, you know, figuring out uh, you know what type of system and. The nice thing is a lot of these systems now understand the importance of motor planning and then support it with their system and their app. But what I like to do is really consider the long-term user, right? So and when I'm assessing a child, they might only be using, you know, single words or sometimes not even that, um, you know, so we have this idea that, You know, we're only using a few words. Let's just have a a grid system that has, you know, eight buttons, for example. And the problem with that is inevitably children's vocabulary will grow, you know, with time and development and teaching. And what happens when all of a sudden we have to double the grid size and then triple the grid size? Um, every time we lose all of those motor plans. So uh, something that I'm really passionate about with the kids that I see for an assessment is, you know, yes, I, I think we should start developmentally at an appropriate level for vocabulary. And, you know, that doesn't mean giving a child, you know, 77 buttons or 77, you know, vocabulary items, although some would argue with me against that. You know, it's another conversation, but I think that it's important to think long-term so that you're not constantly every year or two years being like, oh, well, we ran out of space. Let's just increase. Um, you know, instead, you can, you can, a lot of the apps have masking and you can mask the vocabulary items.
0: Right. That's what I, exactly what I was thinking. I mean, that's the, the philosophy behind, say, speak for yourself, uh, you know, where you're able to keep the same grid size, but hide the vocabulary until the, the user is developmentally ready for it. Exactly. Well, Talking With Tech is brought to you by Smartbox, makers of AAC solution Grid 3 for Windows and Grid for iPad. Grid is a complete symbol and text AAC system that is designed for individuals of different ages and ability levels. Uh, Grid is a single AAC system that can progress with the user as he or she grows.
1: One thing I like about Grid is it includes SuperCore, a research-based core word vocabulary grid. SuperCore gives users a home grid of core words that's combined with activity-specific vocabulary. Grid also has a simplified editing process, allowing you to do anything from editing a cell to creating a new grid with a few taps or clicks.
2: Grid also provides remote editing and cloud backup. With a SmartBox account, you can auto-sync content between Grid 3 and Grid for iPad. This allows anyone with a Windows computer and a free trial of Grid 3 to edit grid sets from anywhere and the changes appear instantly in Grid for iPad. Your content is stored in the cloud and backed up so you won't lose content if you lose your device. So right
0: now you can try Grid for free. Visit thinksmartbox.com for a free 30 or 60 day trial for either Grid 3 or Grid for iPad. This will allow you to evaluate the features of Grid including simplified editing, remote syncing, uh, you know, lets you decide if Grid is the right solution for you or your client. Um, again, visit ThinkSmartBox.com for that free trial. We hope you do.
2: It's interesting how people choose to start when they're starting to implement AAC. You know, I see on different Facebook groups a lot of people posting their core boards that they're using, and I always have to ask when I see something like that. Where are you going with that? Because at some point, if you believe the student's going to say more than what's on that core board, then you're going to have to give them a, a device. And there's some research that kind of backs this up. And there's a quote here. We'll link it in the, in the show notes. But there's a quote from the 2014. And here's the quote. It says, the practice of starting with simple technologies and switching to unrelated complex devices later may negatively affect language development. That's pretty important. That's like a very important thing. Like starting with simple and then going to complex might actually have a negative impact on language development, as opposed to just starting with the more complex device, like you were sort of suggesting, Rachel. So I just want to say, it's, it, there's some research that supports this sort of notion that we should start with the more complex devices course never enough research so get out there guys do some more
0: yeah those of you listening get out there and start researching and uh and and you know what i i, I see both sides of it i think that there are absolutely situations in which um you know a student might need a, a very small field with very large icons for visual reasons or for motor access reasons or whatever that that might be so it's never going to be perfect but i think uh, you know on on the whole if we can preserve like like a good example of this is um there are, certain, there are certain icons uh, across systems that I always try to have at least in the same place, if that makes sense. So like, uh, you know, I have a lot of users of touch chat, for example, and so in the lower right-hand corner, I always have a, a button that says something along the lines of, I made a mistake. Um, and that will be consistent across many pages, across many devices. Um, so at least, at least then there's conceptually this knowledge, even if the thumb doesn't know exactly where to go, um, we're not completely relearning. Um, do you feel like I'm right to, to do that because I've doubted myself many times?
1: I did the same thing, and you know, with, with various things, and I think that that consistency is really important, especially with these compensatory strategies like, you know, I need help, I made a mistake, um, these things that, you know, come up with AAC users and when they're using their devices. Um, so absolutely, I think it's important for them to always kind of know generally where that is, that specific phrase.
2: Right. Lucas, can I just say something there? There's something even more important that you just said, which is you ask the question, I don't know, do you think I'm doing this right? Which I think is something we often, because I'm doing it, then it must be right, you know, as opposed to I'm doing this and I'm wondering if it's right. Let me go ask some other people just to, to get some sort of feedback so that um, it's not, I'm just not going on my own expert opinion. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's just a, a huge, uh, skill that we all need to develop as therapists is to be like, maybe, maybe I'm messing this up. Let me go ask somebody else. And I just think that was a bad respect for you to ask that question.
0: I I fully accept your praise and enjoy it. and I, (laughs) I thank you very much. But you know, I, one of my, um, my, my practicum supervisors years and years ago, uh, told me one of the best things I could do as a clinician is to enter every session with the assumption that everything that I know is wrong and and sort of reteach myself uh, based on the data right you know look at what's been successful because you know assessment is not is a never-ending process um so uh, so so thank you for saying that um i wish i could take take credit for that sentiment but i think that it's something that uh, that all of us should be doing is is, is asking and, and and fortunately i have access to experts right here on this podcast that can give me feedback and you know what those of you listening uh you absolutely do too please come join us at Facebook. Um, uh, you know, we, we love, to, love to answer questions and, and we love to admit it when we're wrong.
2: Hey, Lucas, can I wanna jump in and say something else too? You said sometimes there's, there's times where you might start with like four large icons and then build out from there. And I think there's two different ways to do that, right? You could, let's say you start with four words and you have these large icons. Um, one concept would be to then, uh, as the student grows language, the icons get smaller and, uh, and then you can put more icons on that same visual display, the same screen size, if you will, right? Um, but that is often changing the location of where the icons are. So you're changing the motor plan, right? Which would be a, a kind of going against what uh, we've been talking about here today. The other way to think about it is you start with those four icons and then... Uh, picture like a frame around the outside. You're going to add words around the outside. So you're growing the display. You're going along the, I don't want to say fringe, the edge, adding more words along the edge. And that way the words would be kept consistently in the same space. You know, there's more things to consider there, but I think that's it's an important consideration when you're trying to figure out, okay, which direction am I going, right? I listen to that podcast. and They say, they say, okay, just know where you're going. Well, those those are two considerations you could have. Are you shrinking or are you growing?
0: Right, right. That that's a very good point. And we're really also so far only addressing direct select, right? So what about what about that that user that's used to having to to hit the switch seven times to get to the desired message, right? And all of a sudden that changes. I mean, that's a whole different kind of motor planning. What about the eye gaze user who's you know has a specific motion grammar, which is tiring. If you haven't sat in front of an eye gaze device and tried to communicate for five minutes, I encourage you to do so because you're ready for a nap afterwards. (laughs) Uh, I I am so impressed by the stamina of those users. So, um, I mean, these are all these are all important things to think about. Now, of course, they're not the only things to think about. Right. You know, there's no reason why we need to exclude uh, best practices in one area in favor of another. Um, now now what about uh is this is this more important when we have students with with more limited motor skills like what about overlays on the device uh what are what are some specific um uh, unique cases
1: well i actually find that kids who have Issues with motor planning—it's they have issues across the board, right? Which is partially sometimes why they're not able to communicate verbally, um, so, which is more even more of a reason to make sure we're supporting motor planning and AAC use. But, you know, specifics for kids who who are having motor planning issues sometimes they have fine motor challenges. Um, so I think it all kind of ties in together. So you know, one good solution is having a key guard um, or a touch guide. Or there's a lot of technology now that allows for, um, you know, help with kids who are having fine motor issues. Um, you know, it's not as severe as they can't do direct select, but it just helps increase their accuracy and decreases frustration.
0: All right. Well, we've said a lot about motor planning here. There's a lot more to say, and I would like to hand it over to one of the experts, uh, Chris Klein, who's actually somebody that I've learned a lot about uh, this from before in the past. So I'm excited to have him on. Um uh, Chris conducted the interview. Uh, do you have any comments ahead of time?
2: Uh, I just want to say that what you're about to hear, because he's a device user, we've actually edited it down. So the way Chris uh, communicates is he uses his toe on Advantage. He's going to talk about that a little bit. Um, and he is generating word by word, and he's got the speak word uh, function turned on. So as he presses a word or as he uses even word prediction, he starts to spell a word. You're hearing those spellings, and you hear the word one after another. Uh, And then when he's done with composing his entire sentence, he he hits the speak display and it says the entire thing again. So you hear it twice. So for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to cut it down. So you're only hearing that final part. Uh, Just know that uh, that's not exactly the the true essence of the communication. It's going to sound much more fluid to you because of uh, the magic of editing.
0: Well, that's great. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Without further ado, Mr. Chris Klein.
2: Lucas I hear we have a new sponsor this week
0: I'm a big fan of toys I'm a big fan of sensory tools uh, and I'm a big fan of really creative ideas so I was at a conference a little while ago and I ran into this company called Twiddle T-W-I-D-D-L-E and they make these soft therapeutic aids that assist caregivers people who specialize in autism or ADHD developmental disabilities even memory care and arthritis they almost look like a hand muff that you, you put your hands into they have them in the shape of dogs the shape of cats
1: that's so fuzzy and adorable
0: there's one called the The Nathan that has a whole bunch of like its own fidgets on it, like a like a chewy, like a crinkly bag. They're warm. Each one of them has like a like a stress ball uh, at the center of it that you can squeeze. There's a a storage bag with a zipper. Uh, These things are really neat.
1: I love sensory items, especially for kids with autism. They're a game changer. They sound awesome. They sound like something I want to play with.
0: Yeah. In fact, it's really comfortable. They're really durable and they're machine washable, uh, which is huge. I can't tell you how many times, especially in my clinic, I've had to just throw away stuff. Uh, I highly recommend it, and I can't think of a kid that wouldn't enjoy playing with one of these. So check it out twiddle.speechcience.org.
2: Well, welcome to Talking with Tech, and today I am visiting with Chris Klein. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and what you do?
3: I am. Chris Klein I have
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: been working with AAC 3 thirty nine 39 year, years now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Now I'm helping educate people about AAC which we will get into later. I am Chris Klein. I have been working with AAC 39 years now, and now I'm helping educate people about AAC, which we will get into later.
2: So, Chris, for those who don't know you, can you describe what you use and how you access it? Mm
3: -hmm. I'm using a Pathfinder, which is a min speak device. I'm using direct selection with my big left toe.
2: And you are generating things off the top of your head, right?
3: Yes, I am. Words are just popping into my head, and my pathfinder is like playing the piano, or just like you're talking.
2: Can you describe that a little bit more? What do you mean by that, playing the piano?
3: I don't have to think about where anything is. I'm just letting words pop into my head and I have a natural motor plan to say those words.
2: Uh, okay, so let me just break this down for a second, Chris. Um I think what you're talking about with the words popping into your head, uh yeah. I think we call this spontaneous novel utterance generation in the biz. Right? Yes. <laughs> um so I think this is the goal for so many people like me who are working with young children, so many parents, so many speech therapists. So how, what do you attribute that? I mean, how did you, I mean, I guess that's happening in your brain all the time, right? But now you're expressing it some way. How do we help people get there? What, uh, how, did you learn, how did you learn to do that?
3: I believe that should be the goal on families, parents, speech-language pathologists, and educators, but I don't believe that is the goal. For the most part, I would say the goals are set way too low for somebody that is starting out with an AAC device. It's either about reading the educational standards, or saying needs and wants it isn't about learning language and becoming proficient with using language. Yeah. I know I get frustrated hearing this statement. Yes, not everybody will be a Chris client, but everybody can learn language and be proficient with what they have in front of them. Yeah. And just to add to that, I believe First Tips starts by believing they can learn language and then giving them access to everyday language, which probably gets us to the next question.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, so first, I just want to say, Chris, I think that what you said is so true, because uh, when I coach other people, I find that, I mean, just today I was talking to a teacher, and she's like, yeah, I don't know if he'll ever use that thing. And I'm like, mm- you, you're the one who has to, if you don't believe he's going to do it, then he's not going to do it. So, okay, let's get into the next question, which is, you did a talk at ATIA, which yeah. is the Technology Industry Association, uh, back in 2018. Um, and it was called uh, the External Lexicon, right? Yeah. Uh, so can you explain what you mean by the External Lexicon, and what did that mean for people who use speech-generating devices? And then, you know, what does that mean for people who teach other people how to use
3: The external lexicon is whatever AAC device they are using in front of them. If you think about it, we all have an internal lexicon in our heads, and for those of us who can communicate, words are just popping into our heads, and we have a natural motor plan to say that word. That is why many of us will say something stupid because we're really not thinking about what we are saying. We're just letting words pop into our head. So, I believe this is happening with people who use AAC. Words are still popping into their head, but now they have another external lexicon to navigate to find that word. If the search task takes too long, I believe they're losing their train of thought, and the sentence they had coming so becomes shorter, and even sometimes incomplete. This is why I'm a big advocate of one core vocabulary on a device, and secondly having another plan to access that vocabulary. I had to say, I was blessed to start on the Handy Horse 110. It had core vocabulary on it, but it had to motor plan to say those words. So, once I had learned the device, I didn't have to think about where anything is, I just let words pop into my head. I believe that it is so important to take into account when we think about AAC. The AAC device has to give access to everyday vocabulary, but also give that person a natural motor plan to access that vocabulary. Otherwise, the search task is going to limit them in their development.
2: Yes, I know that's a controversial statement, but I believe I'm onto something. So, Chris, can I jump in here? Yes. So, you said you used a different device before you used the Vantage, is that right? Yes. And that device didn't have quite the number of words as the Vantage does. Is that right? Yes. So if you could go back in time, do you wish you had the Vantage earlier? Or are you happy you started with a, a vocabulary that was less? What, which, which, and which do you advocate for for, for kids now? that are oh.
3: Well, like I said, I was lucky to start on The Handingless 110 because it was like this one and gave me access to everyday words. Sure, I would have loved to have my Pathfinder all the way through my life, but I'm old, so I had the best device back then. However, I am going to say always start people with the biggest vocabulary.
2: Okay, so that I think you said, I know that's a controversial statement before, but I think what you just said is another controversial statement because I think people, you know, think, oh, that's too many words, you know, and it, and that that it's too visually overwhelming why would you want to advocate for the largest vocabulary
3: i get that but it's important to establish that motor memory which is another controversial statement but without them, i don't believe you can learn language in the way others do
2: chris i, I don't understand why it's so controversial to people because when i had to learn the word drink when i was a little baby and i was in my diaper and, my, and I'm walking around with my bottle, and I say the word drink, my tongue is moving in a certain way, right? I'm, I'm saying the D sound, and then the R sound, and I probably messed it up with a, a W, but then I... Right. And so this is just another form of motor planning that... Right. And when you are learning the word drink, you're finding it on your device, and you're pushing this button plus this button equals saying the word drink. It's the same analogy, right? Or
3: Right to me, it's the exact same thing, however, you bring them up to anybody else, and I think you know they'll argue.
2: Yeah, but I don't know why. <laughs> Some people say, okay, that motor planning is just a thing that helps people get faster, but it's not necessarily helping them learn the language. Like, it's not that is it important for learning language, or is it just important to be faster at saying language you already know? Motor learning?
3: planning and motor memory is definitely a rate enhancement tool. There is no argument about that, but I believe it is necessary to learn language. I don't believe people think about it in the field of AAC because we are so focused on every other thing besides this. If you think about how a child develops language who is able to speak, they have a natural motor plan to say the word. That is so important when they are developing language. Like I said, a person using AAC has to navigate through an external lexicon, so if the word isn't quickly accessible with the motor plan, it slows the development of language. As a person who majored in Kinesiology and still get involved with teaching college athletes, motor memory is essential. The best athletes aren't thinking about what they have to do, they are just doing it. I believe it's the same for communication. You aren't thinking about what you are doing, you are just communicating. I don't know if there are any studies out there, but I believe it's something we need to work into, so that we can develop devices that takes everything into account. And let's take your example, when you said drink, what did your mom or
2: dad do? But no, they gave me a drink, right? I said, drink.
3: right. So isn't that learning?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why I think it's tied together. I think you and I are on the same page there. Well, let me ask this too: when you say external lexicon, how is that different than an internal lexicon or just a lexicon? <clears throat>
3: It's different because it's organized differently. So like you, you can say whatever, whenever, and it comes out fine, right, well, mostly.
2: So the external lexicon, what you mean by that, if I, if I think I understand, is you can't just have a bunch of random words kind of puked up on a page. Right. They have organized in some way. So yeah. you can, okay. what does that mean for assessment? Because what I see lots of times when people are doing assessments is they'll say, all right, we have the student or the person, and we're going to put system one with them for like two weeks, and we're going to take that system away, and we're going to get another system for two weeks, and we're going to take that system away, and then we'll give them a third system for two weeks, and that seems to be...
3: That um is a major problem, I see, because how do you assess someone that way when you are changing how their external lexicon is organized every two weeks? Do I have an answer for that? Probably not. Well, I do, but that wouldn't be politically
2: correct, so I'm leaving that. I'm curious what it is because I know what I've been advocating for, and I'd be curious to see if you share the same idea, which is the committee that uh, is doing the assessment works together to look at the features the student needs and then picks, picks a system. Like, just pick something and go with it, and don't change it. Just pick something, you know, make a good decision. Uh, Are you saying because it's the system you prefer?
3: That's the idea I would say to go with. But you know that you have other arguments that are going to come your way that you haven't tried everything, which I don't think whoever that is, whether it's insurance or other device businesses, should matter.
2: Yeah, I I know what you mean. Here's what I think that where the bad science comes in, Chris, is that Mm -hmm. if you picked three things to try and you're going to try each one for two weeks i think one why did you pick two weeks that seems arbitrary (coughs) it should be like a month or why did you pick a month that is also arbitrary (coughs) if you made some sort of logical choice to to choose which of those three you tried first (coughs) that would be the same logic to say let's just try that one for an extended period right
3: and I believe we were get people communicating better that way than we are today.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you think a lot of people do assessments that way and they are changing up the external lexicon because of money? And what I mean by that is that back in the day when you were younger, right, mm-hmm. getting a device cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. When I say mean a device, I mean a robust language mm-hmm. system. And we've kind of held on to this old model of doing yeah. assessments that way, because they cost thousands of dollars, but now it's like you can get a robust language system uh for under a thousand dollars, yeah. And- and we still hold on to the old way of doing assessment and getting a new model. Am, am I crazy, or is that you're a sneak on it too?
3: I think you're right, on. And the other thing is, I don't think we believe enough that they can do this because whoever is looking <laughs> at whatever advice is saying that works impossible, just like my parents did. And my speech-language pathologist said, well, just let him play with it.
2: So thank goodness for your speech-language pathologist. <laughs> If you had someone different who didn't believe, then you would be in the same boat as other people, changing different devices. Right. Chris, all right, let me ask, what are you working on now? What's driving you? What's your latest quest? How do I
3: explain
1: what I am doing? (coughs) I guess first I am educating
3: people about AAC. I would say that extends from children or whoever beginning to use AAC, to parents, to teachers, to speech-language pathologists, and to going to universities to teach future speech-language pathologists, so that's the first thing. Secondly, I'm helping communities set up social programs for people who use AAC. We want communities to have social opportunities for people who use AAC, which doesn't always mean getting people with AAC together. Okay. I believe that works well, but I believe having others there that don't use AAC is very beneficial and motivating as well. I believe we need to help people who use AAC learn how to develop and build long-lasting relationships, which is my goal in doing these things.
2: I totally agree. Summertime, you find there's all these AAC camps popping up. Right? There never seems to be one close to my area, you know, which I guess means it's on, it's on me, right? Or,
3: and I love all these camps. Don't get me wrong, but I'd love to see one integrated.
2: Integrated, you mean like all year long or integrated into what? Like it's
3: an island? Into a summer camp where you'll have people who use AAC, but also able-bodied people working together on something. That is where I think we could make something bigger happen.
2: Yeah, I like that idea. It's happening in certain places, right? I mean, you, you, you organize things like yes. that. Yes, yes, it's happening here on a smaller level, and now I'm trying to figure out of a grow that which takes probably some money. <laughs> All right, so how do people get involved? How do they learn more about you? How do they donate?
3: It's become AAC. and Smile Amazon is one way. I haven't gotten PayPal set up because, well, it's pretty much impossible. They want every paperwork and still haven't gotten approved. Checks can be sent to my address, and they can get an address by emailing me at and 34 at gmail.
2: When they contact you, what kind of stuff do you do? Like, uh, I mean, I know you do presentations and uh, talks I for yeah. any organization, is that right? I do
3: pretty much anything they want, <laughs> and of course there is a cost or whatever, <laughs> but we can work it out.
2: Wait, I don't understand, you, you expect to be paid for your time? How yeah. dare you? <laughs> 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 hey. Man, you would be surprised how many times I have gotten that. Uh, Well, I, Chris, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise and for getting the word out to as many people as possible about all of this stuff, all of your efforts, uh, the external lexicon, motor memory, motor planning, believing in people, um, not selling anyone short, all of those are huge messages I hope us at talking with tech and, and beyond in the profession take away from our experiences with you and others like you. So thank you.
3: I do too. And it is my drive, so I'm not going to stop.
2: Chris, what is next for you? Are you going in, Are you going to ATIA again? Or are you going to another conference? We're working to see you if they're...
3: I'm hoping to go to Asha again. Like I said, trying to figure out how to change the message a little, but working on that. I'll be at Novice, July, working with Wrecker. I think that is what they call it. Sorry, it's Penn State to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's Penn to you, right? Because you're, you're outside of Pittsburgh. That's where you live?
3: No, I'm actually in Michigan, but I go everywhere.
2: That's right. I knew that. That's where I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. I go everywhere, too, and that's why things get (laughs) fuzzy. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, I think we might have to ask you to come back and talk about some other stuff as well, because this is just like the tip of the iceberg, right? Some of the important things. Yes,
3: this is just a tip. There is a lot more work left.
2: Absolutely. Well, which is why you're going to ASHA, and ATIA, and RESNA, and RERC. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much. Uh, any last parting thoughts or words?
3: Hey, make AAC fun and less about homework, too. I believe that makes a difference, too.
2: What a great final thought. Absolutely. Let's make AAC fun. Let's make school fun. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Maybe the next time I'll see you is ATIA, but let's keep in touch, okay?
3: Yes, we will. Uh. All
0: right. Well, I got to tell you that that was a a very enriching interview uh, for me as somebody who hasn't always understood the importance of motor planning and has learned a lot from Chris in the past. I'm just thrilled to have had him on and I'm really grateful for his time. So uh, as usual, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback in a variety of different ways.
1: If you haven't joined our Facebook group, you can find us at Talking With Tech. Just search it. We have a page, but we also have an amazing group full of SLPs who are just adding to the conversation, uh, which is just really exciting. So please find us on Facebook and, and let us know what you think.
0: There's also a really, really big, I think the biggest giveaway we've ever done right now is going on in the Facebook group. Uh, Courtesy of Smartbox, we have about $925 worth of stuff uh, being given away, copy of Grid3 for iPad, copy of look to learn which is 600 bucks in and of itself and a talking with tech t-shirt is in there too just so you can you know wear the most fashionable clothing in the world and all that it takes is is just some clicks it's really easy so definitely do check out the facebook group and uh one of the thing we'd appreciate from you
2: is to spread the word i mean this is the episode to to go and show your occupational therapy friends go hey did you listen to this because this is all about motor planning occupational therapists go listen and then when you're showing it to them show them how to hit the subscribe button down at the bottom of iTunes or whatever pod catcher you use. Podcatcher,
0: I like that. It's like Dreamcatcher. I need, uh, one of those, but yes, we are on uh, pretty much every single one of those, including Spotify and tune in. So once again, uh, this is Lucas Stuber uh, for Chris Begay and Rachel Madel. We I cannot tell you how much we appreciate your listening. Um, this is one of the most validating things that certainly I've ever done professionally and I'm thankful uh, for it every day. So we, uh, we'll talk to you next week and the week after, and can't wait to hear everything that you have to share. Talk to you soon.